right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Exodus. Now, the last time we were here in chapter 18, we saw where Israel was moving closer and closer to the Mount of God, Mount Oreb. But they were basically on the outer strips of Mount Oreb, further out in Mount Oreb. But nevertheless, so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had heard of him coming back towards that area, toward Mount Oreb. And he took Moses' wife and his two sons back to Moses to be with him. Remember that it was in the event of Moses' failure to circumcise his younger son, Eliezer, and his wife's Zephyrah, disapproval of this event, the circumcision that is, that Moses sent her and his two sons back home to her father, that is, to Jethro. So now Jethro has, is bringing them back that Moses has returned. And he, as he brings Moses' wife and his two sons back, he settles in with Moses. And as is common, he would talk to Moses about what things have transpired during the time that Moses was in Egypt and bringing the children of Israel out. Moses told him all about the occasions, all about the great and magnificent things that God had done for the children of Israel, the plagues upon Israel, bring them out of Israel, the Red Sea crossing and all of those things and all the things that God had done in providing for them during their time in journeying toward Mount Oreb. And then after that, we have a great confession from Jethro. And that's important to remember, even as we move into chapter 19. But we have a confession from Jethro that indeed, truly, Yahweh is God and that there is basically no other God but Yahweh and Jethro sacrifices and worships God. And so with this continuing presence of Jethro with his father, with Moses, he began to notice in Moses's routine, daily routine, if you allow me to say it that way, how that Moses would go from morning to late evening in judging the people all by himself. And Jethro offered Moses wise counsel and simply told him, if this is pleasing to the Lord, then appoint other men to judge along with you. Men who will be over thousands, hundreds, fifties and tens and allow them to judge alongside. So teach these men the statutes of God and let them judge. And the things that are too difficult for them to judge, let them bring to you. Because if you continue to judge the people like you are doing all by yourself, then you're going to wear away yourself and the people as well. So you're not going to do as good of a job as you can. Moses found this thing to be pleasing and he did exactly as his father-in-law had told him to do. And with that pleasant visit, Jethro went home. All right. Now, with that, we move into chapter 19 as the children of Israel are moving to the very place, Exodus chapter 3, where God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and where God himself told Moses that he will return back to this place to worship God. And God is going to bring the people, chapter 19, into a covenantal relationship with him. So let's begin. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out from the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai, when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. 
Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain saying, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Okay. So we find out verse number one lets us know that it was in the third day and on this very day that they left, that they departed, the children of Israel departed from the land of Egypt, that they actually came to Mount Oreb, the place, Exodus chapter three, as I was just telling you, where Moses himself had the revelation of God and the theophany in the burning bush. They are now at Mount Sinai, the place that God told Moses he would bring them earlier. And so, and it just simply lets us know that they were moving from Rephidim up into the wilderness of Sinai. And now when they say wilderness, it doesn't mean desert. It can mean a place that is basically uninhabited. And that's the meaning of it here. And so the whole nation of Israel now is encamped in front of Mount Oreb, slash Mount Sinai. Remember, both of those two words can be used interchangeably. And so when they were there, God called Moses up to the mountain and he began to speak to Moses, telling him to tell the children of Israel three basic things. You've seen how I delivered you from the Egyptians, what I did to Egyptians. This is an indication of God's absolute power that God Yahweh is a God of power. And then he says how I bore you on eagles wings and brought you to myself. So bore you on eagles wings. This deals with God's protection and his providential care over his people and bringing them to himself also is an indication of God's care as well as purpose. So in all of the actions of God, he is basically saying by way of evidence, you should know who I am, that I am Yahweh, that there is no other gods besides me, that I am a powerful God and that I am a God who cares for and protects you. So he said, you've seen how I have been towards you. That's what God is saying. You have seen how I have been towards you. You, it's kind of like the same thing unspoken of in the garden of Eden. Okay. What do I mean by that? Now I'm digressing a little bit, but I'm allowing you to see some of the principal ways of God, even when he doesn't give direct speech about it. Notice in the garden, in the, the world itself, the creation narrative. God created all the world, right? He created the plants. He created the animals. He created the garden of Eden. And once he had done all of these things, what did he do? He creates the man in particular. He gives man domination rule over the entire world. He gives him food to eat. He plant makes him a vegetarian. Then he commands that he to be to be over all of the animals themselves. And then he brings in the command concerning the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
that is the prohibition, do not eat from this tree. In all, what can we see? The principal form of what I'm trying to say. What can Adam realize about his God? You can see how I have given you all of these things, how I've blessed you in every single way. Now, therefore, will you obey my voice? In other words, that's God's given the evidence of his gracious love to his man, to Adam. And therefore, predicated upon these things, what can we see? A request from God. Now that I have been these things to you, show your love for me and keep this singular commandment. Okay, enough of that. I just wanted you to, you to see the principle of that. And so it's the same case that we see here, except for this principle is now being predicated upon a covenant that God is establishing between himself and the people of Israel. And so what does he say? He says, so you've seen who I am. In verse number five, he continues to say, now here's the covenantal part. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. So therefore we see that God is bringing about. He is what bringing about. This is the establishment of a covenant between God and the nation of Israel. So if you keep this covenant, you will be a special possession of mine. That is, uh, I think it's King James version says a peculiar treasure. So the idea is basically the same. You will be a special or unique treasure of mine amongst the peoples of the earth. And then he says, for all the earth is mine. That is. So let me take a little time in dealing with this. Not a long time, I hope, but just a little time that the nation of Israel amongst all other peoples of the world, God is saying he is going to take them exclusively to be unique amongst all the other peoples of the world. And that's why the name is being called here, the special or treasured people. He has taken them uniquely for a divine purpose, for his own purposes. And we already know that his purposes will be to be a priestly nation. But before I get into all of that, let me continue. So he says, you separated from all the other peoples of the world. So that sets in our mind that God is concerned for not only Israel as a people of the world, but all the rest of the people of the world. Because what does he say? All the world is mine. Not only are the Israelites God's people, but all the rest of the nations of the world, they are God's people as well, but not in the same sense that Israel. Israel is special and unique. God simply is claiming that he is the, the, the owner of all the world, all the other peoples of the world. So keep that in mind. Israel, a set apart people, and then over against all the rest of the peoples of the world to the which all the rest of the peoples of the world would simply here be called Gentiles. But verse number six. And so what did you say? He gives them their purpose in the covenant. You will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So notice what he says. Not that they simply will have a priesthood in Israel. No, he says the whole nation of Israel will be a will function 
as a kingdom of priests and the holy nation. Now, when he says a holy nation, it brings in the idea of both, both a nation that is set apart. And that's what he means when he talked about the previous verse, special people set apart from the rest of the nations. So holy nations set apart people, but also a nation that is set apart in her righteous standards, in her righteous governance and her righteous obedience to Yahweh. So what is God saying as a nation, a, a whole nation, not the tribe of Levite, because even now the tribe of Levite has not yet been established but the whole nation will function as priests. And this is basically the overarching idea, guys. The mindset of God, his original intent for the Jewish people, the Israelite nation, was for them to function as priests. The function of a priest is to serve as a go-between, between something and God himself. Notice, because that's the function of the Levites. Remember, and we'll see that later on. And some of you already know the function of the Levites. And this would be a, a, a particular tribe in Israel, a particular tribe. They would function as the priestly tribe in Israel, representing all the other tribes of Israel to God. And that's what the function of the Levites. That's why the Levites themselves were the priests of amongst the Israelite people. But notice here, the Israelite people as a whole will function as priests. So therefore, on whose behalf? Only two things we've been talking about. The, the nation of Israel, special treasure over against all the other nations of the world, which God declares that he owned. So therefore, as a holy priest nation, God's in his intentional function for Israel was for the nation of Israel to function as a priestly nation on behalf of all the rest of the nations in the whole world. That was God's intentional function for Israel to be representative, mediatorial, to mediate mediate like the same idea, same idea of the Levitical priest who would mediate between the nation of Israel and God and Yahweh. The nation of Israel would have the same function, but on a worldwide scale. And so therefore that by this, the nation of Israel, and we'll see this all as it develops throughout scripture and the history of the Israelite people, how God intends for them to represent him, to bear that Israel should bear the knowledge of God, that Israel should maintain the revelation of God. That is what the word of God. And this is what Paul had said concerning Israel. What profit is it to be a Jew in every way? They, God has given them the covenants and that God had maintained the keeping of his revelation of his word. And God would use Israelite to bring the knowledge of the true God to the rest of the world. And this is God's intention when he says, you shall be to me a nation of priests. And in all of this, this is the continuing fulfillment 
of the Abrahamic promise of Exodus chapter 12. For what does God say in Exodus, I'm sorry, Genesis 12 verses two and three, I believe it is. And he basically says that be a blessing. And I'm not going to get into the Hebrew grammar of that, but actually I take that and it seems to be the imperative, which is this is a command to Abraham to go out amongst the Gentiles around him and be a blessing. The blessing of what? The blessing of the knowledge of Yahweh in his worship of Yahweh. And remember, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those, the one, the one who curses you, I will curse. Now watch. And in you, Abraham, in your seed in particular, but nevertheless in you, what? All the families of the earth, all of the rest of the Gentiles shall be blessed. How can the Gentiles be blessed through Abraham? Through the knowledge of Abraham's God. So now God is speaking to the descendants, the seed of Abraham, the children of Israel here at Mount Sinai, elevating that covenant by saying to them as a people, as a nation, you will fulfill that promise that I made to Abraham to be a holy priestly nation representing me, the true God to the rest of the world so that the rest of the world, the Gentiles may come into the knowledge of God. Okay. And that, that is the covenant that God is bringing the Israelite people into. And he begins to tell Moses to go and tell Israel these words. Do you want to be my covenant people in this manner? Okay. And verse number seven. So Moses came and called the elders of, of the people and set before them all these words, which the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the people to God, to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and let them be ready for the third day. And for on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Okay. So now he goes to take the message of God. That is that uh, a preliminary message on whether or not they will want agree to be a covenant people of his, a people of God bound by a covenant. So he goes down to the elders, tells them the words of God that God had just spoken unto him and the elders enthusiastically agree and simply says what? 
Whatever the Lord says, we are willing to do this thing. And so Moses comes back to God and tells God the response of the people. And I like the kind of back and forth, even though we know that God knows everything that they're saying. But still, it's an interesting thing to see how God is allowing the back and forth and back and forth. And that's the establishing of this testimony of this covenant that God is allowing to take place. So he goes back to God and says, the people are willing. And then God continues to give Moses further instructions and simply says, this is good. So tell the people sanctify themselves. And that is basically to, uh, uh, uh in, in this set themselves apart in preparation to meet God, because on the third day, God is going to come down from heaven to Mount Sinai and there he will speak to the people. And so therefore, the people need to prepare themselves uh, uh, to meet God. And now, now this pre pre preparation simply to meet God speaks of God's person, that is the holiness of God. You just cannot simply approach God. And so therefore, what does God say? Let, let me deal with all of it in a nutshell. You just cannot simply approach God. What does God command? He says, set a boundary around Mount Sinai so that no one can draw near unto God. Set this boundary so that neither man nor beast can draw near to God. And if someone to draw near unto God, he shall be put to death. And the manner of man or beast drawing near to God, breaking the boundary of Sinai, he should be put to death either by or the animal by stoning or some man should take an arrow and kill him there. No one is to approach beyond the boundary. So this speaks principally of God's holiness. And because God is holy, he is still separate, even from all his creation, especially he is separate completely from all sin. So we see that separation. But also, too, there is a demand for the holiness of the people. So what does he say? Wash your clothes. And Moses even commands not to have sexual relationships with your wives for three days. So the people should therefore sanctify themselves, set themselves apart to meet with this holy God by ceremonially cleansing themselves because all of these things were basically ceremonial that speaks of them sanctifying themselves. And even when we say the word sanctifying and holy, this comes from the same root word in Hebrew, Kaddish. Kaddish is basically holy, to be set apart, to be holy or set apart. Same idea. Okay. So this holy God is going to come to Mount Sinai to speak with them in three days. Get ready, prepare yourselves and prepare the mountain. All right. Verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes and thick cloud and the mountain and a very loud trumpet so that all the people who were in the camp trembled and Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. 
Now, Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked violently. When the trumpets, when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. Then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Okay, let, let's just stop right there and talk about it. It is now the third day and all of a sudden the people began to hear the sound of a trumpet. And basically we already know this becomes the sound to gather yourselves at the foot of the mountain because the Lord is about to come. Now you're about to see a royal uh, 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 procession, so to speak, before you, and it can't get any higher in royalty than the living God. So as the trumpet is blowing the sound of the ram's horn, and God had already told Moses that when you hear this sound, gather at the mountain, God is coming. So now that sound is coming. And remember now, even in the text, it said, even as the trumpet blowed, it seems that there seemed to be a continuance of this sound. Why? It said it blew louder and louder. So don't think of this as some type of human trumpet because number one, there is no man to sound this trumpet. So this, no doubt, is the sound of an angel who is calling the people of God to assemble. And that's the idea. The trumpet sound caused the people to assemble. We can even see this in Leviticus 23 in those feasts of God to the which I'm not going to talk about at all. And also we can see this in the rapture itself. What does Paul say? First Thessalonians chapter four, the Lord shall descend. Remember like Mount Sinai descend, send from heaven with the sound of a trumpet. This trumpet sound means for all of God's people to do what? Assemble. And who assembles? The dead in Christ and we who are alive. We assemble before Jesus who has ascended to the clouds. And what does he do? He assembles all of his people and takes us back to heaven. Same idea. The sound of the trumpet assembles the people of God. It calls us to assemble. But anyway, let's keep going. But let's go back to the atmosphere. So then you got thunder. Now, guys, you have to turn on the theater of your mind. This is not a thunder you have heard. This is a thunder that has never been heard before. So you can imagine how this almost numbs the ears with the boom, 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 and then the lightning. Can you imagine the, oh my God, I have, I have seen lightning storms and the lightning storms that I saw were scary. Now, they scared me because I was like, my goodness, it's this, you wonder what's it going to hit? Can you imagine the lightning that was upon Mount Sinai? And this is, this is the whole mountain like this, the lightning. And then all of a sudden God ascending in burning fire. So the whole mountain is set afire. And then the trumpet sound. And let me tell you something. It's a place you wouldn't want to be but it's the same thing because it's so scary, but still it'll be a place that you would kind of want to see at the same time. 
and the whole mountain with the appearance of a furnace that burns with fire and the mountain itself is set on fire with smoke all around the mountain. It must have been the most magnificent scene in the world. Now, why you say that God would appear this way? Basically two reasons that the people would learn and to know to fear God. He didn't come to them as some little pansy, antsy God in a small, quiet voice. He showed up with great power and great magnificence saying to them, can you imagine? I am Yahweh. And <laughs> you know, my butterflies in the stomach. <laughs> magnificent. Even where the writer of Hebrews said, where Moses even said, I exceedingly fear and quake. It scared Moses to death. But anyway, so God appears these two reasons that the people may fear him, that he is a God of power and he is also a God of judgment. He will whoop your rump if you get out of place. Learn that. So, and also, as he said to Moses earlier, he says, I will appear unto this mountain that also they may fear that the people may believe you, Moses, because remember, God is not going to be continually talking to the people in this way. He's never again talked to the people this way ever again. The next time God will speak and talk to the people, but without the consuming fire, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12, it will be through the son or in the whole book of Hebrews through a son that is Jesus of Nazareth. But anyway, let's go back to the context. So God comes down to the mountain and he begins to warn Moses, this holy God, nobody is to come up to and try to gaze upon him and look upon him. You know, guys, I've gone so much in this, uh, let's just go back to verse number 20. I've forgotten how much of it I've read, but let's read this. Finish the rest of this, and then I'll make a commentary on it. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down, warn the people that, so that they do not break through to, to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai for you warned us saying, set bounds among them about the mountain and consecrated. Then the Lord said to him, go down and come up again, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. Okay, so now what happens as this <laughs> is going on, God speaks to Moses. He summons Moses to his presence at the top of the mountain. Moses goes up to the top of the mountain to speak with God. And God tells Moses once again in warning, tell the people, do not try to come through and take a peek at God or else you will be killed. 
many of you will die. And we can kind of see an instance of that. Oh, I love it too, but I'm not going to get into it. When the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines and the Ark of the Covenant, and, and, and it did all of that damage among the Philistines. The Philistines sent the Ark of the Covenant back. The Ark of the Covenant came back to the people of Israel. And when the Ark of the Covenant came back to the people of Israel, some of them tried to look at the Ark of the Covenant. What's so special about the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant was that special treasure in the tabernacle where God showed a theophany, a manifestation of his presence. But so when the people of Israel tried to look into the Ark of the Covenant to gaze upon God, he struck many of them and many of God's people died that day trying to gaze upon the Lord. But anyway, going back here. So what does God say? Do not make any attempt to look at me or you will die. And so he, he, he says, okay, they can't get up to you. This is the response of Moses. They can't because you strictly told us to set a bound and, that, and the people can't go beyond that bound to look. And then God continues his warning and says, even concerning the priests of the people. Now I'll comment on this as I did earlier uh, in chapter, I think it was uh, uh, 17. He is not speaking of the Levitical priests. Why? Because the Levitical priests have not been given at this time. The Levitical priests will not be taken. That is the tribe of Levite will not be taken as priests until the book of Numbers. So we have a substantial amount of time before then. The priests that he is speaking of are those who are of the firstborn. And this is when God said, remember, Firstborn that, that, that he killed in the judgment of Egypt. He says on behalf or since I killed all the firstborn of Egypt concerning Israel, the Israelite people, all the firstborn of Israel are mine, says the Lord. So the firstborn of Israel amongst them became priests unto the people at this time temporarily. What did I say? temporarily because later on God is going to make a permanent priest, the Levites. But right now among the firstborn are the priests. And that's what he's speaking, speaking about now. So he also says that the firstborn, the priests should also have to consecrate themselves because even though all the people, all the Israelite people are at the foot of the mountain, the priests still would be able to come nearer to the Lord. Now, the priest cannot go beyond the bounds that have been set at the mountain. They or they themselves would be killed. OK, but they still can come a little nearer than they're in front of the rest of the people. So that's what God is trying to say. So the, the priest, since they are drawing even nearer to God than the rest of the people, they need to be really conscious of being consecrated before God. And we already talked about what this consecration entails. So those who draw nearer to God demands a greater consecration. The, uh, the demand of obedience, the demand of holiness is always greater upon them. Okay. But anyway, and so he says, so this is for the priest, but nevertheless, no one can come up to see God. Then he says to Moses, go down and get Aaron and Aaron is Moses brother. And we can understand how God is giving 
uh, Aaron this great privilege of drawing near to God, just like Moses, just like Moses, because Aaron will become, we know, will become, not yet, but will become the first high priest. And so therefore he will have this sense and degree of holiness greater than all. High priest, greatest in holiness, priest, greater holiness, Levitical priest, great in holiness, and then the people of Israel. Okay, so notice that ascending a holiness. But anyway, and so he says, go and get your brother Aaron and then both of you draw near unto the Lord. And so Moses simply obeyed. He went down to the people and he gave God's word about make sure you guys don't come down, come up, break the bounds of the mountain or you're going to die. And to the priest, he says to them, all right, you make sure you are consecrated unto the Lord as you draw a little bit nearer to the Lord. And he says unto Aaron, Aaron, come with me and we're going to go up unto God. And all and in all of this, keep in mind, keep the theater of your mind. Don't turn it off yet, because as we get into chapter 20, this thunder and lightning and smoke and fire and earthquake. And can you imagine the earthquake trembling? And all of this is still going on as God has descended on Mount Sinai in fire. And in chapter 20, he will begin to speak and give the first words of his covenant. That is what we call, what we will call the beginning of the law of Moses, the Mosaic law, when he begins to introduce himself in a covenant, Suzerain covenant. And I'll talk about that when we get into chapter 20. And he begins to say, I am Yahweh. All right, guys, glad you joined me in that teaching. When God begins to bring the people into covenant, present himself in such a way that will be memorable, or should I say memorable in the mind of the people forever. As the writer of Hebrews said, what? Our God is a consuming fire. Or we would simply say it today, our God ain't nothing to mess with. But anyway, as he presents himself in chapter 19 and chapter 20, he begins to speak the words of the covenant. See you there.